Hi, this is David from the Ocean Blue, and you're listening to PF's Tape Recorder. Hello there, I'm PF, this is my tape recorder. Coming up, comedian Tommy Davidson got some odd advice from a college counselor. She was right, and I actually saw her in Miami years later walking through the lobby, and she was with her husband, and she ran up to me and she said, oh my God, do you remember me? And I said, yeah, I remember you. And she turned to her husband and she said, this is a student that I've been guilty about for years. We'll hear more from Tommy in just a little bit. We have another episode of What Kind of Nonsense Is That? around the protest in North Carolina over voter ID laws. We're also going to have a review of the Arctic Monkey shows in Cincinnati this past week. But first, as always, fake news. The opening of McDonald's first restaurant in Vietnam last Saturday drew massive crowds as well as a live DJ, face painting, and various performers. Hundreds of people began camping out at the new location in Ho Chi Minh City hours before its 8 a.m. opening to get their first taste of Big Mac and fries in their own hometown, according to Liberty Voice. Wow, to think we could have beaten Charlie just by sending in the Hamburglar and Grimace. Comcast is set to buy Time Warner for $44 million. It's not clear at this time how the acquisition will affect consumers, but experts say the new conglomerate won't use any lube. In a strange story, a 44-year-old fetus has been found inside an 84-year-old Brazilian woman. The Daily Mail reports by way of G1 that the discovery came last Friday when the woman's intense stomach pains landed her in a hospital in Tocantins State in central Brazil. Said the fetus, It's about time I've been pounding on this womb forever! At the Corvette Museum in Bowling Green, Kentucky, where I did not go to college, by the way, a giant sinkhole opened on Wednesday morning, swallowing eight of the iconic vehicles. A spokesman for the Ford Motor Company said it proves God must like Mustangs better. A lot has been said about why Bruce Jenner's look has changed so dramatically in the past few years, but one thing is certain, the Olympian-turned-reality star looks different than he did when he rose to fame in the 1970s. He totally has this I-may-be-an-old-man-but-I'm-cool-and-young-too syndrome, uh, and no one can tell me otherwise, a source told People magazine. The new look is paying off in strange ways as Jenner has been cast to play a much older version of a character being played by Lindsay Lohan. New Jersey's Republican Governor Chris Christie on Tuesday criticized Democrats for their focus on income inequality, speaking in Chicago in one of his first major public appearances since his administration was engulfed by scandal over a closed bridge. You want income equality? That is mediocrity, he said, during an hour-long question-and-answer session with Greg Brown, the chairman and CEO of Motorola Solutions Incorporated. Christie also took the opportunity to praise former President George W. Bush, a man who worked very hard to be born into extreme wealth and privilege. And finally, don't count Paula Deen out just yet. The embattled Southern chef has landed a $75 million investment deal less than a year after a racial slur scandal threatened to ruin her career, CNN Money reports. She will also be the new house chef on Fox and & Friends. And that's been Fake News with me. It's time for another installment of... What kind of nonsense is that? So on Saturday, February 8th, there was a rally held in Raleigh, North Carolina, and it was organized by the NAACP to protest the efforts by North Carolina Republicans to require voters to show a photo ID at the polls. Well, that makes sense, because the best way to combat one or two cases of voter fraud is to ensure that thousands and thousands of people won't be able to vote at all. Okay, so the NAACP organized the rally, and folks showed up, and it was covered by the media, but... 
the lamestream media neglected to reveal one important fact. Fortunately, websites like The Blaze, that's Glenn Beck's outfit, as well as Ben Swan's website, and Breitbart.com, and many other independent news, in air quotes, sites, jumped on this issue. You were required to show a photo ID to attend the rally, they shrilled. Oh, the hypocrisy. Oh, the partisanship. Oh, the nonsense. Okay, to be honest, it took me a few minutes to crack this one. The smoking gun came from a flyer issued by the NAACP and was posted on all these independent news, in air quotes, sites, uh, advising rally attendees as to what they should bring. Okay, so see if you can figure this out. Again, it took me a few minutes, so, so don't feel bad. Okay. Do know your bus number, uh, marshals and bus captains. Do look out for the elderly and the young. Do ignore any taunts or jeers from the public. Okay, are you catching on here? And of course, the final one is do bring a photo ID, which was the, was the crux of the problem. But, okay, but have you got it yet? Yeah, yeah, it's a do's and don'ts list. There was no one there checking people for IDs, like at a concert or a comedy club or a strip joint. Nowhere does it say you must bring a photo ID to be part of the rally. It's suggested that you do one for your own convenience. It's just a good idea. Why? Well, let's just say protests don't always end really well in North Carolina. And uh, once that shot was fired, uh, a certain level of panic set in that people uh, tended to move away from the shot, to run away from it, frankly. Uh, there was a brawl. People jumped out of Klan and Nazi cars with sticks and knives. That's a clip from a documentary called Greensboro's Child by filmmaker Andy Kuhn, and it's about an anti-Klan rally that took place in Greensboro, North Carolina in 1979, where Klan members shot and killed five people protesting the Klan and the American Nazi Party. Protests sometimes get out of hand for one reason or another, and I presume having a photo ID on you would expedite bail uh, should arrest be made, which uh, does happen. And I've never been to a rally or a protest, I wouldn't know, but I assume that's the reason you should have a photo ID on you. I mean, there's so many angles to the incredibly stupid reaction from the independent news, in air quotes, media on this. They try to make it look like the NAACP were hypocrites for advising people to bring a photo ID to a rally protesting the requirement for a photo ID when voting, okay? But the problem is, the rally wasn't to protest photo IDs, but their misuse in elections. Yes, you have to have a photo ID to drive because that's not a constitutional right. But voting is! Okay, even if it were true, or it wasn't clear as to whether it was required, wouldn't you, as an independent news, in air quotes, organization, pick up the phone or fire off an email and say, uh, hey, it says here that you should bring a photo ID to this rally you're having. Of course, then they would find out, well, uh, no, you don't have to bring a photo ID, and then your whole BS story unravels. Look, I'm a journalist. Well, I'm sort of. Uh, I mean, I write for a variety of publications across the country, but I'm not really like a news journalist, but I know how to fact check and look things up because my editors require me to do so. Let's say, for example, our Second Amendment friends hold a pro-gun rights rally, and they issue a flyer that says, hey, please don't bring your guns. Even though I could discern that it's just a suggestion or a request and not a requirement to be part of the rally, my editors would probably still make me call somebody up and say something like, hey, and is this true, or why is that, that you don't want people to bring their guns to the gun rally? Oh, I see. You don't want the cops and President Obama or the UN to confiscate your guns if the rally gets ugly? Well, okay, thanks. See, this is why The Blaze and Breitbart.com and Ben Swan's website, a, a lot of the time, are full of crap. I mean, hell, if you're an independent news, in air quotes, media, you probably think, hey, if you're driving to the rally, you should leave your driver's license at home, too, because it would be hypocritical to carry your photo ID while driving to a rally protesting an election law. And speaking of our Second Amendment friends, and I'm not totally against them, why is it reasonable for, to ask for a photo ID to vote, but you're a communist if you ask for an ID from someone waiting to buy a gun at a gun show? 
As a fictitious North Carolina sheriff once said to his deputy, uh, you beat everything, you know that? And as we say on PF Tape Recorder, What kind of nonsense is that? And that's uh, fluorescent adolescent. <laughs> You're fine. There needs to be a cough button. Fluorescent adolescent. Uh, Arctic monkeys, because we're going to review the Arctic monkey show. Uh, and uh, oh, but before I tell you that, before uh, fluorescent adolescent, that was 88 seconds in Greensboro by OMD coming out of that brilliant piece of satire about the North Carolina voter ID situation. So, all right. So if if fangirl can stop laughing about that, we're going to review the Arctic monkey show that was uh, this past Monday. Uh, here in Covington, Kentucky, which actually is suburban Cincinnati. And uh, we, for the first thing, what's that? Covington? Covington? Yeah, we'll get closer to the mic. That was the first, the mic. that was the first debate was that uh, lead singer, Ian Turner is the lead singer of Arctic Monkeys? Alex Turner. Alex Turner. Nice Could, try. Thank you. See, th- th- we're going to get to the other part of this in a second. Uh, yeah, I was trying to decide how to pronounce Covington, but then he finally came up with a, uh, a pretty decent American accent, I thought. <laughs> yeah, that was funny. I liked that. That was, that was good. Now, uh, your thoughts on the show, Fangirl, because you're much more into Arctic Monkeys than I am. My thoughts on the show, I thought it was, oof. It was a very stereotypical Arctic Monkeys show. It was exactly what I pictured it would be like. Um, his English accent, you know, all the girls are, like, screaming every time he talks. Like, he could have said, like, I burnt the toast. <laughs> what if I'm like, ah! um i discovered i got to photograph this <laughs> whoa that's a fun sentence and um professionally I, yeah just, she yeah. Just up her phone folks she actually got <laughs> she just up her phone. and we'll tell you how to find that in just a minute um and i learned that the good thing about photographing bands that you know is you'll know when like the lightning cues are because i knew the first song do i want to know of course didn't know the second song so that was a disaster knew the third song um but then the problem with it was I am standing, I think, maybe a foot away from Alex Turner's crotch trying to get pictures. And I'm sitting oh there, like, pulling up a camera. And then I'm like, oh, hi. Oh, my <laughs> God. You're, like, right there. And he would come over and he'd, like, step on, like, the speakers and lean into the crowd. And he's, like, coming over me. And I'm, like, just looking up at him. And it's like, how is this even happening? <laughs> and then, like, the rest of the show, it was just, it's not it's not the same show watching from the back because I'm, you know, a snob and I'm going to say that because I'm like, oh, oh, my God. I was, like, I was right there. I could have reached out my hand and touched you. And you were just, oh, my God, you, so close. You remain, you remain professional to your But credit. I did. And I'm proud of that. And that so, is my point. <laughs> So I, reviewed, I am proud of myself. I reviewed the show for Cincinnati City Beat. If you just go to citybeat.com and type Arctic Monkeys in the search bar there, you should be able to find it. And you'll see Fangirl's uh, picture. As the thumbnail. As the actual picture that goes uh, with the article. Well, yeah, but. Now, the other thing we, we were trying to figure out is why 
Arctic Monkeys are not in my wheelhouse, yet all the other bands like them it's are. It's so weird. The 1975, so weird. the vaccines, vaccines, and the ones that Arctic Vampire Monkeys actually Weekend. came up with, um, Kaiser Chiefs and yeah. um, uh, Fratellis. So, yeah, but yeah, I don't know. I like fluorescent so adolescent. Weird. Uh, I like, uh, do I want to know it's okay? And I like, why you only, it's okay. why do you only call me when you're high? I mean, I like, I I like the hits. <laughs> I like the hits just fine. But, um, but, uh, I just, I don't know. I just can't, uh, I don't know. I just, it was it's a good so show. Weird. It was it, it was a good show. It's I um so I enjoyed I the opening act a lot, which we disagreed on as well. No, I didn't but. not enjoy the opening act. I just thought it was so weird, like because like whenever I see, I remember we went to just like a battle of the bands thing, and Dad and I disagreed on every single band that we thought was good. Yeah, that's true. And a lot of the times we don't like the same bands, and I was iffy on this one, and he got really into them, and I they like were them. just bizarre in my we're, opinion. we're talking about the orwells from chicago illinois who you may have seen on uh, the late show with david letterman back in january did a, a killer performance on that show and uh the the lead singer uh mario cuomo yes that's his real name okay um, well, mario cuomo is also the former governor of new york state <laughs> the exact same name the yeah <laughs> there you go so anyway but um uh, probably the least chatty lead singer ever he said hello No, and even outside the venue too he said hello can any use the f word and that was it and then his guitar the guitarist which i believe is his cousin did the rest of the talking although he didn't really say much either and yeah, yeah. and then we, we found him after the show uh by the merch stand he was wandering off looking at his phone and said oh grab a uh, let's grab a picture with him and once we did that everybody else got wise and started taking pictures with him i don't think but, he said um, a word to anybody though he said thank he, i told him that they did a really good job and he thanked me and he seemed very sincere i think yeah. he's just one of these guys that's shy but when he gets on stage he kind of gets like taken over and it was very interesting to watch. I'll, I'll say he that. He put on a show. He did. He put on a show. Very good. I admire All right. that. Well, uh, in honor of that, we're going to, one of their biggest tunes is called Mall Rats La La La. So uh, here is what? a little a little blast of the Mall Rats La 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 uh, on PF Tape Recorder. Tommy Davidson is a comedian who headlines clubs and plays theaters across the country and is probably best known for his work on the groundbreaking sketch series In Living Color as the voice of Oscar Proud on The Proud Family on the Disney Channel and for roles in such films as Strictly Business. Here now is our interview with Tommy Davidson. Okay, joining us on PF State Recorder, it's Tommy Davidson. Tommy, how you doing? I am doing pretty good now that I got the phone all straight. This new technology—it's not new technology; it's just technology, huh? It is, and it's—it uh, doesn't always work the way it's supposed to. <laughs> well, you know. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, uh, let, let's start from the beginning. Um, uh, you're originally from Washington D.C., correct? I am. I was actually raised in Washington, in, in uh, Silver Spring, Maryland, in the D.C. metropolitan area. Okay. To be specific. 
All right. And, yeah. And were you a funny kid growing up? Uh, very. But I had no idea that I really was or how funny I actually was because I never thought about it. I just loved to laugh and loved to have fun, you know? And, w- w- and it wasn't until I got into comedy that I even realized that I even had, you know, a skill at it. It was just something that I loved to do anyway. So, so when you were young, who was inspiring your comedy? Was it from watching cartoons or comedians or sitcoms? What was the big influence? Just my whole upbringing. My whole upbringing, you know, I was, you know, just the way I was brought up in the neighborhood that I grew up in was so diverse, and there was things going, just things going on all the time. I was just, I was really, really raised in a fruitful environment, man, fruitful social environment, you know, and so I just was on fire, man. <laughs> well, so I we just was on fire. Example, you know, I was like, you know, born in, in Mississippi, taken from Mississippi to Fort Collins, Colorado taken from there to Washington, D.C., you know? And that includes everything from folk festivals to summer camp to, I mean, to funk concerts, you know, to, to communes, to the inner city experience. To, I mean, there's on and on and on and on and on, you know? Yeah. I think that's what, what shaped me into this, this, this really unique mind that I have. Ah, so we're, I mean, we all got a unique mind, but well, sure. I have. <laughs> um, were, so were you like kind of the, the class clown, or were your friends also funny too? How, how what was that dynamic like? We all were funny, you know. Um, but I guess you can say when I look back, you know, I think the class clown is just the funniest guy in school. Yeah, you know, I think or the one that can get the most votes. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You know, or the one that gets the most votes. (laughs) The one that gets the most votes. That's a very, that's a very honest. um, It's a very honest school. High school and junior high is a a very honest voting pools. You know, we haven't we haven't been uh, we haven't been uh, uh, exploited yet. Yes. (laughs) So actually, honestly, vote for the person we thought should do it. We hadn't got political yet. Yeah, no, point. no. We we clearly had my buddy uh, Bob Gray should have been a class clown, and oh, it went really? to it went, it went to a <laughs> guy that, that, that I knew I didn't have a chance. But uh, the, the guy that it, it did go to, nice guy, funny guy, uh, never in a million years would have guessed that in, if it wasn't been my friend Bob, it would have been him. But you know, oh wow, inside, inside. So, oh, totally, totally. Yeah, I I think a lot of people abstained, so the popular kid just kind of voted this guy to be the class clown, and you know that was it. Wow, you know and. So, oh. so, Jeff Sturm, if you're listening, okay. I ain't mad at you, but I always had a good time laughing well, with you in algebra. But... <laughs> so, uh, when did you decide to try uh, doing stand-up? Were you, uh, had you gone to college yet, or high school did you start? Yeah, yeah, I went to college for like a semester. Okay. It was one of those things that was not working out for me. Um, I had already started my little adult life already. I, was, I had an apartment and two cars and work. Oh, wow you know, at like a Home Depot type of place and worked at a, at a hotel and a catering place. So I was already in the work world. and You had three jobs, man. At like 19, you know. <laughs> yeah. So by the time, at 18, so by the time I got into college, it was just kind of sort of like, what's this for? You know? Yeah. And I mean, I, I just realized now, you know, at 50, it's for a lot. <laughs> I wish <laughs> I would have went. Because I sure would have, would have, would have, would have uh, been able to have some things incorporated in my life, like study habits. 
you know. Yeah, well, as David Letterman said, Sammy Davis, counselor of mine, yeah, uh, counselor of mine in um, in in the college that I went to, she would talk to me often, you know. And one day she told me, you know what? I don't think the college may be for you right now. And I would never tell a student or discourage them from going to college. But she said, there's something going on with you that is a little bit different. And you may look into some. You may want to look into some other things before you commit to 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 pursuing a, a degree. There might be something else out there for you. As I talk to you, it just seems like there's a path that seems a little bit different than the college route. And um, lo and behold, she was right. Yes. Well, as a she was right, and I actually saw her in Miami years later, walking through the lobby. And she was with her husband, and she ran up to me, and she said, Oh, my God, do you remember me? And I said, Yeah, I remember you. And she turned to her husband, and she said, This is a student that I've been guilty about for years that I told not to go to college. <laughs> and she said, You made me proud, because I was really, that, 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 that advice that I gave you kind of haunted me for years. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure you saw the famous interview with Sammy Davis Jr. and David Letterman where David told Sammy, well, if you had, had you gone to school, maybe you would have made something of yourself, which has cracked Sammy up. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you, what, so you start doing stand-up like right after leaving college, or did you, kinda, did you start doing it while you were thinking about leaving college? Yeah, it kind of happened at the same time, sort of near the same time. But stand-up wasn't something that I was even thinking about doing a friend of mine asked me to try it you know just for kicks yeah he, he was serious you know he was like you will be the best you can do movies you can do tv and i was like well what sense does that make when i got a great job and i got a great place to live you know what i mean yeah you know i read a lot I, i'm happy with where i am you know and so he made it he made a he made a he made a point of it he kept telling me you need to do this, 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 you need to do this. So I finally tried it, and from the first time I opened my mouth, it was preordained. Oh. I, I already had material, I already had, you know, it just was already there. And was this guy a comedian too? No. Oh, okay. just a friend of mine. His buddy yours? Okay. And uh, so things kind of took off from there. What did you start uh, like featuring there in D.C. or did you have to start hitting the road? What was what was the path after that? Well, for me, I um, I started out, believe it or not, at a strip club um, because that was the place where the guy worked. Okay. And uh, he said he talked to manager and they gave me the microphone. So I started actually there, and it was only about two months before I was. Uh, word of mouth was going around D.C. that there's this kid that's good. And so promoters started pursuing me to do concerts, and I started doing a lot of talent shows. So ironically, I never hit my first comedy club until I was doing comedy for at least a year in different venues. Okay. Oh, okay. I see. And um, Yeah. And I finally did the Apollo and met what became my manager and we that's when we made the move to LA and started pursuing higher ground so that was about what uh, late 70s early 80s no that that's about that's late 80s late 80s okay alright and yeah late 80s 
So, um, of course, uh, people know you uh, from, and I still hear about this as an influence today for people, in Living Color. How did the In Living Color thing come together? Uh, that was just one of those things where Keenan was really smart, and Keenan just grabbed. Keenan was able to, first of all, develop a show like that, you know. And, um, you know, I don't, I don't have anything to do with what happened, you know, why In Living Color happened. Yeah. I have to do with why in living color was good. Yes, and and that was Keenan was was really insightful, and it was kind enough to make me a part of it. You know, I auditioned and did all the things to be on it to, to deserve the part. Yeah, but me, Jim Carrey, David Allen Greer, and most of the cast were really hot stand-ups in L.A. at the time. So he just kind of grabbed everyone, put them in one place, auditioned them the best that came through, went on his show, and that was it. Hmm. And had you been doing? Because uh, I know a lot of like comedians that go into like into a Mad TV situation or a Saturday Night Live. Maybe they can do an impression, but it really isn't their thing. Were you doing impressions on stage before that, or is that something you kind of uh, mustered up for uh, in Living Color? I had been doing that kind of thing since I was a kid. Okay, but I didn't know what they were called. Ah, oh. yeah, I didn't know what an impression was until I was in an interview all the way years later in Hollywood somewhere. And someone said, you do great impressions. And I was like, oh, what's that? You know what I mean? Yeah. And then all of a sudden he said, that's when you imitate people. Oh. And had you been doing them in your stand-up act, though? Up to that point? Say that again? Had you been doing them in your stand-up act? Yeah, I've been doing it for a couple of years. Okay. Never did I know that those were impressions. Ah, Okay. Because I had always imitated people all my life since I was a little kid. Okay. And I was good at it. Yeah. But I didn't think they were impressed. I didn't know what they were. They just fun to do. Yeah. And did you find that you would do like a mix of like celebrities and also just people that you knew or bosses or teachers and things like that? Yeah, definitely. Okay, Everything yeah. I touched. Yeah. So when you do an impression, how, how did you approach it? Was it just a matter of like you thought you could mimic the voice or there was a certain characteristic you could latch onto and kind of build Yeah, I just there? set it up. You know, I found a way to set it up and go, hey, does anybody like uh, Sylvester Stallone, you know? Hmm. And i do it, you know? I was, I was a lot more uh, raw back then in technique. And then after Living Color, uh, you, you can, you, uh, you're, you're acting. And a, a movie that uh, I would recommend to folks they see, uh, which I thought was really hilarious, and a lot of uh, good people are in it, yourself included, of course, is uh, Strictly Business. Yeah, that's a great. Yeah, that's a great we were film. Talking about that the other day. Yeah, how that's a favorite of a friend of mine. Oh, okay, and how big that movie was. You yeah, know, that movie didn't make any money, unfortunately, for me. <laughs> but um, it had a it had a huge impact because it changed the way that that movies were done. Urban movies were done. How uh, so? It had the music. It had a positive twist to it. You know, it, it was it was. Uh, done really well done with a big studio done with major major um distribution you know meaning a big company did right you know and um it was groundbreaking you know all the 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 taliparies of today and that's true yeah those movies that are out wouldn't wouldn't even have legs because this was one of the first movies of the 90s right 
that, that came out that was just about, you know, just regular black folks. Exactly, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's it, an urban movie, yes, but isn't what this, uh, Spike Lee would call it, one of these jive-shucking comedies that, you know... Uh, people would expected uh, years ago. Yeah, a lot of, like, Halle Berry's in that, Samuel L. Jackson, and a young Sam Rockwell. And Isaiah Washington. Isaiah Washington, that's right, yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Um, Mary J. Blige, that started a lot of careers. Mary J. Blige, Missy Elliott, they oh, it, were among the soundtrack. Oh, soundtrack. I did not you know, know that. Yeah, I didn't really... Uh, yeah, uh, yeah Jodeci. Oh, uh, wow. That's like a who's who. Uh, Mark Berg produced it, who went on, who went on to be you know the billionaire that he is now with the saw series um, that was his movie yeah so that's yeah. uh groundbreaking on two ends yeah. then both yeah. with the sound it was also uh, uh eisenberg was in at warner brothers so you know yeah it's pretty cool the eisenberg project through warner brothers through uh a producer friend of mine named chris sarpitz who actually put me in the film or made sure that I was in the film. So yeah. it was, it was, uh, it was, uh, it was a very root-based project. Yeah, yeah, a, a very well yeah. cast. Yeah, very, uh, very yeah. good from from the from the ground up. So I understand you're working on some projects uh, t- uh, these days. What what's uh, what's in your queue right now, as they say? Um, you know, I'm working to develop in my own TV show. I'm working to develop in my own comedy special. I'm working at you know, variety music specials for cable. I'm working on uh, films of my own. I have my own production company. So um, what I'm working on in, in, in that's on the air is Black Dynamite, which is a, a series in its second year on Adult Swim. Oh, that's right. Okay. Um, Cartoon Network is a very good Carl Jones directing, writing uh, from Boondocks fame. Oh, yeah. Fame animators. Beautiful project proud to be a part of it i mean just great and um traveling the country traveling the world doing the doing just getting back from afghanistan for the third time this year oh wow um yeah just um really 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 putting it down and do you get a chance to tour the u.s much working on these other uh projects uh back in california or um yeah yeah, i'm I'm, if you check go to go to have your have your uh, listeners go to tommydavidson.net okay You'll see that I am booked through December. Wow. Okay. Well, we'll link to that on the uh, Podbean page as well. Fourteen, which is good. I'm in every, I'm in a whole lot of cities <laughs> uh, this coming year. I'm, I'm basically everywhere. Awesome. And so what kind of things are you talking about on stage these days? Uh, you know what? I can't really pinpoint it because I'm, I'm kind of like experimenting and... You know, I talk a lot about people, the difference in people. Um, it's kind of hard to tell because I'm going through a phase. I'm going through a developmental stage. Yeah. All I can tell you is that I'm probably a good combination of everybody at once. You know, I'm topical and political like Chris Rock. I'm, I'm, I'm quick on the improvisation like Robin Williams. I'm strong, you know, with imp- impressions like Richard Little, you know? Yeah. Um, I'm urban, you know, uh, point of view, uh, like an urban contemporary point of view like Kevin Hart, you know? 
yet I'm a storyteller like um, Richard Pryor. So it's so you know I'm probably like I'm like if, if every other comedian does karate, I do kung fu. Aha! Uh-huh. So it's like the Bruce Lee of the comedians. Right? <laughs> the Bruce Lee of comedians. That's awesome. So it's a ver- it's kind of a, a variety show within itself of comedy of different uh, all of what you're adept oh, yeah. at. Yeah, you get, I'm more of a I'm more now of a comedy performer. Yeah. Than a stand up. Aha. Uh-huh. Stand up is just one element of my comedy. Oh, okay. But I'm more of a stand up performer. I don't yeah. need the I don't need the the stool and a, a drink because <laughs> I don't have time. So we, we, we lots of stories, lots of uh, some impressions, uh, some political commentary. It's uh, that sounds like a nice mm-hmm. mix. We go hard. Cool. All right, man. And uh, and any ultimate gig that you would uh, like to accomplish or think something you want to cross off your list first of all the things you're working on? Is it the movies? Is it the TV um, show? I think, I think, yeah, I think ultimately right now my, my, my main goal is to, to star and produce the Sammy Davis Jr. Uh, major motion picture. Oh, cool. Yeah. Outside of, you know, the comedy projects that I do have, that it would be the alpha. Yeah, that would be very cool. Yeah, yeah, and that's uh, and that of course that period right now is still very popular. Uh, you know the whole Rat Pack '60s period, so that would be uh, I, that'd be very cool to to see. Yeah, we we want to go and get it, man. It's 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 worth it. You know. So how? Where is this in the in the pro? I mean, is this thing that it's something that's likely? Are you still talking people, putting things together? Where are, where are you at? In we're the- still putting it together. Okay. We're still putting it together. Okay. You know, All right. Mandela movie or any movie started out as an idea. So yeah. That's oh. where we are, and we're cranking it, man. All right, man. Well, uh, well, I can't think of a better person for the job. Um, so uh, good luck with that. Um, hope you enjoy your trip to Minneapolis. Uh, we'll look at the listings. Hopefully we'll see you down here in Cincinnati as well uh, sometime during the year. You will. You oh. will. You definitely will. I just saw me on the, on the schedule. Really. Oh, great. Okay. Then I we'll... Uh, when, but I just saw it. All right. Well, uh, thanks for taking the time. Really appreciate it. And um, have fun in Minneapolis. Hope to see you in Cincinnati. And uh, good luck with all this stuff, and especially the, the Sammy Davis uh, movie. Thank you so much. Thanks for a great interview, too, man. All right. Thanks, Tom. Good luck Tom. on your projects, man. Thanks. Bye-bye. We all need it. <laughs> hey, we, in, we do indeed. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, to God's ears. <laughs> all right. Thanks, Tommy. Thank you. Bye-bye. again to Tommy Davidson for being on the show and taking time out of his busy schedule. Now you can catch Tommy at the House of Comedy in Bloomington, Minnesota. That's suburban Minneapolis, uh, where the big Mall of America is. In fact, the Comedy Club is right inside the Mall of America, and Tommy is there uh, February 20th through February 23rd. You can go to houseofcomedy.net, I believe that is, to get all the details on that show. And then he jumps back on some more standing ovation tour along with Bill Bellamy, uh, Mark Curry, and Tony Rock. And that show stops in Columbus, Ohio, February 28th. They're at the Palace Theater there. They're at the Landmark Theater in Richmond, Virginia on March 1st. They are in Columbia, South Carolina uh, at the Township Auditorium in Columbia, South Carolina. For all other dates for, with Tommy Davidson, go to tommycat.net. Okay, I will be at Go Bananas February 26th for the uh, Pro-Am night, as they call it there. It's the open mic, but it's uh, it's well, it's a pro and an am. That's why they call it pro am. 
So uh, you can catch me there uh, attempting to do stand-up. Uh, it's, let me see, doors are at 7, show is at 8. Say you're there to see me so I can go on stage, won't you? Thanks a lot. All right, so um, let me see. The usual credits, of course, uh, original music for PS Tape Recorder composed and performed by John Vropolis and Doug O'Connor with a little help from me. Uh, the logo is designed by Dan Coble. Follow him at TigerDactyl on Twitter. You can find Fangirl at checkcheckhey.tumblr.com, I believe it is, and then you can link to her photo blog from there. That She'll have some pictures there. Uh, from Arctic Monkeys, and it'll also link to the City Beat article. I'll also link to the City Beat article from the Podbean page, pfradio.podbean.com. And I believe that is all we have for this week, other than to say so long and thanks for listening. (laughs) 